Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Stand by for action. We're going to talk to Donna Halper here in just one second. But first, Congressman Tim Ryan calls for workers most at risk from the coronavirus to get hazard pay. The president of Emily's List says Democrats now have a great chance to take back control of the Senate. Leading health experts warn that reopening businesses and restaurants too soon means more Americans will get sick and more will die. That's the kind of big news you're going to get every week from the Bill Press pod. And it's the kind of big news you'll miss if you don't join up. So I encourage you to join me in subscribing to Bill's new podcast, The Bill Press Pod. It's a must listen for all progressives. Bill's podcast is up twice a week, an in-depth interview with a major newsmaker on Tuesday and a roundtable looking back at the big news of the week with Washington reporters on Friday. To sign up, just go to wherever you get your podcasts, search for The Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and then tell your friends to do the same. It's easy, it's free, and it's your one place to get your progressive fix for the week. Take it from me, I follow the Bill Press Pod, and you should too. And now, let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, May 20, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is a returning favorite. The great Donna Halper is here. You might know Donna as the broadcaster who introduced Rush, the greatest band in the universe, to America. But Donna also happens to be a professor of political communications, so today I thought we'd discuss the state of the news media during the pandemic and especially throughout the utterly destructive era of Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, Fox News, and the flooding of the zone with disinformation and crapola. Links to follow Donna's work in the description. Meanwhile, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content on our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com. Okay, let's talk with Donna. I don't know if I want to talk to you. I mean, come on. Like, don't you know who I am? I mean, do do you think I have all day to wait around for you to call me? I mean, I got things to do and people to see and like tweets to tweet. 
seriously. This is like so unfair. I don't know if I can like, I'm going to need therapy. Okay. Donna Halper. It's so great to talk to you again. Thank Hi, you. sweetheart. How are you? I'm, I'm doing okay. How about you? How's your, uh, how's your, how's your husband? Uh, is he it... needs surgery, honey. And yeah. because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. we haven't been, I mean, he has been in agony for a month and a half. Oh okay? my God. He has yeah. a ruptured disc in his lower back. Ugh. And it's pushing against the nerves in his leg such that he can't walk. And so I'm like teaching my classes, running the school newspaper, mentoring students, attending meetings online. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, doing all the grocery shopping, all the housework, helping with the yard work. I mean, just it's it's 24 seven. So it's amazing you had time to uh, sit down with me today. So I'm I'm so grateful. Well, like I said, don't you know who I am? I mean, come on. You know, (laughs) like, yeah, the person running to the grocery store. That's who I am. The, The last time we spoke, Donna. Uh, was uh, right after Neil's death. And um, have you spoken to anyone from Rush since then? Well, yes. Um, I keep in touch with Getty's sister. Mm -hmm. Um, I email Alex periodically. Um, I saw Getty when he was in town, you know, on his book tour. Um, The guys are all okay as far as I know. I have talked with Neil's family a few times everybody's coping. Of course, it's never going to be the same. Of course, you move on because you have to. And because in Neil's case, he would want it that way. Neil wanted to be remembered as he was. He Mm -hmm. didn't want to be the, you know, the cause of endless mourning. He certainly left us with a body of work that will live on forever, for as long as there are rock and roll fans. But yeah, I mean, so often I'll hear a lyric or I'll think of something that, you know, yeah, I remember seeing them in in concert at, in mm. such and such a city and they played this. And yeah, it's all it's it's over now. Right. But in some ways it isn't over now because we're still talking about it. Yeah. But more than that, that music has touched people's lives all over the world. Oh, yeah. And yep. it still continues to do that. And I'm very grateful to have been even a small part of it. But I'm the most grateful that this man's passing has been memorialized by so many fans yeah. and that it lives on in what he did for us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a long answer to a question, but it's a complicated question. There are some people who, when they pass, it's like, yeah, that's a shame. And two days later, you're on to the next thing. Yeah. And then there are other people who just touch us in a very special way. And that will always manifest itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in fact, you're one of the planners of the uh, Neil Peart Memorial Concert, A Night for Neil. And that was... <laughs> let's, let's see if it happens. <laughs> right. That's what I, I was going to ask you. What's the latest God. for that? Because I know you had to postpone it once because of yeah, the pandemic. I, I'll be honest but... with you. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I think we're all in that situation. Like, I'm a professor. I have no idea, and I am not the only one to say this. Mm. I have no idea. Are we going to be back on campus? Are we going to be doing hybrid courses? Are we going to be just online? Planners of concerts, planners of events, we're all sitting around like OMG. We had to postpone it once. 
are we going to have to postpone? I don't know. And I don't want to get all the fans having a heart attack like, oh, my God, she said they're postponed. No, I did not. <laughs> I did not say that. Mm-hmm. I said, we're sitting here as we're recording this. It is May. I have no idea what's going to be happening in September or October. Yeah. And truthfully, neither does anyone else. So we just have to ask everyone Play it by ear. Be patient with us. We're all trying to get this done. And if, you know, if circumstances permit, then yes, there will absolutely be an event in October. But I wish I could foretell the future. I cannot. So at this point, I have no further information other than what we've all disseminated. And it's almost impossible, Donna, isn't it, to plan for anything like that when we're not getting the straight dope from the White House? We're not getting any oh official God. information from the federal and, government that we can rely on, right? No. It's all. And, and you know what the problem is? The problem is that the federal government has currently sort of abandoned its traditional role of leadership mm-hmm. and fobbed it off on the states. Now, on some levels, that's good. I mean, I'm a big believer that state government should do what it does, but that's meant 50 different responses in 50 different states. Mm -hmm. And some states are like sort of open. Some states are totally open. Some states are semi-open. And just as a consumer of news, and you don't have to be a partisan for this. I mean, I understand that a lot of people that listen to your podcast are Democrats, they don't like Trump, et cetera, et cetera. But this could be anyone. In the midst of a crisis, people need central leadership. Right now, we don't have it. And if you're lucky to live in a state where you have a good governor who knows what he or she is doing, mm-hmm. then you're ahead of the game. Yeah. But if you're living in a state where various forces are just like, well, let's open the whole thing tomorrow, mm-hmm. and people aren't wearing masks, and people aren't social distancing, and they're calling that freedom. <laughs> I, I blogged about that a couple of days ago. It's like, when did public health become a partisan issue? Yeah. When did liberty and freedom become, I won't wear a mask? I, well, why won't you? Because you're affecting my potential well-being. I have a compromised immune system. Mm-hmm. I've had it all my life. Now, if you're not wearing a mask, not like you, Bob, but I mean, I walk into a store and people aren't wearing masks and somebody's coughing or sneezing. Now, agreed. They may just have hay fever. It's allergy season. Mm -hmm. But how do I know what they've got? So have a little responsibility. Have a little concern for the other. We used to care about the common good. Mm -hmm. We used to have leadership that inspired us to do what was right for the nation Boy, howdy, are we lacking that right now? Oh, God, yeah. And in fact, I'd love to get your take on the following observation, Donna. Um, you know, I've been skeptical of the we're at war metaphor for the for the pandemic. It seems like it's it's blossomed into this defiant attitude. What you're t- exactly what you're talking about among people who just don't care about wearing masks, about social distancing, and that's mostly among Trump supporters. I think that's fair to say, and it's similar to how they'd behave in the face of a terrorist attack or some foreign enemy attack which is fine when there are human enemies capable of understanding that defiance. But 
Um, viruses don't care, right? No, they really don't. And they also don't respect borders. There's yeah. no such thing as, well, this is just a blue state problem. I know it's not just a blue state problem. The places where it is mostly on the rise, according mm. to statistics, are red states right now. Yeah. And the other thing that really bothers me is the confluence of pro-Trump, which fine, you want to help him with his campaign, terrific, I support you, you know, First Amendment, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But how does going to the state house in Michigan, carrying assault weapons, how does that help your cause? How does terrorizing legislators who are just trying to do their jobs, what point are you trying to make? Do it my way or I'll shoot you? I mean, yeah. that's, that's anarchy. And I can I mean, I always put stuff like this to the Barack Obama test. OK, if Barack Obama supporters did this, what would everyone be saying? Mm -hmm. They'd be horrified yeah. if a group of African-American supporters came to the Capitol with assault weapons. Would everybody just be like, oh, what a wonderful protest. Second <laughs> Amendment. I don't yeah. think so. No way. I don't. I call me a skeptic. But somehow I think the police would run right in and arrest all of them. So what this seems to be more about is I don't want to do X. Yeah. I want to do Y. And I am going to impose this on everyone. Mm -hmm. And like I said in my blog and like I said to you, whatever happened to the common good? Yeah. Allegedly, we're all Americans. Allegedly, it isn't about blue states and red states. Allegedly, it's about the United States. And that's, I suppose, what bothers me the most. And when I say this, my friends who are Trump supporters get angry with me. And they're like, well, you just don't like the president. Uh, no, as a professor of political communication, I don't like rhetoric that inspires anger and division in the midst of a crisis. Yeah. This isn't the fault of democratic governors. This is the fault of a virus, mm -hmm. okay? And every time you demonize the media, anytime you demonize Democratic governors, what you're doing is saying we're not the United States. We're just like me and the folks that agree with me. Mm -hmm. And that is so problematic to me. It seems to me as if the carrying of firearms, Donna, at these protests just illustrates a basic lack of respect for what we consider to be democracy. The democratic, the small d democratic ideas seem to be lost on these people who think that the only way to do democracy is at the point of a gun. Am I right on that? Indeed. And again, the problem here with the metaphor of war, mm. with the encouragement of protesters who are harassing journalists yeah. and who are terrorizing legislators, this isn't trivial. This is a genie that you are letting out of the bottle and you might not be able to control it. Right. This is cute at a rally. Okay. I mean, I may not agree with it, but again, First Amendment, the president can say whatever he wants at his rallies. But once you open up that can of worms, the worms may not want to go back into the can, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. All it takes is a couple of nuts and boom, you've got bigger problems than you thought you did. And going on Twitter and encouraging these folks really worries me 
because it makes it seem like, hey, yeah, you know, you terrorized people. Well, they're people that I don't like, so therefore it's okay. Mm-hmm. I got into it with somebody on Twitter one time about – I actually defended the president on an issue. There was a video that was circulating online where it looked like he had not shaken hands with a kid in a wheelchair. And of course, all the partisans were like, you know, what a horrible person he is. And I believe in fact checking. I'm sure you do too. And fact checking also should be neutral. It shouldn't be biased. And when I looked, I found that the video had been clipped by someone. I'm sure not intentionally. It was a very long video and they took the last half of it. If you had seen the first half, he absolutely did shake hands with that kid. And then the mother like brought the kid back into line again for round two. Yeah, right. And I'm sorry, you already had round one. (laughs) And as somebody who was in radio, I know what that's like. It's like, here's the rock band. The rock band just signed your autograph. You decide, hey, I think I'll get some for my cousin and six of my friends. No, you can't get back in line. (laughs) So what I said was, in this case, you're beating up on him for no reason. He didn't do this, okay? And people are like, oh, you're just defending him. No, I'm defending accuracy, yeah. okay? So when you send out a tweet that says these people are freedom fighters, the people that are bringing their you know, weapons to the – no, they're not. No, they're not. They're yeah. a very well-organized and well-funded group of supporters who are Second Amendment absolutists. I'm fine about the Second Amendment. I'm not fine about bringing it to an office, the legislature, wherever. I don't need your weapons there. Whatever statement you're trying to make, go make it on the shooting range. Please don't make it in my space. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me accuracy and fact-checking are really important here. And nobody's rights are being taken away from them. Mm -hmm. And yet we have the White House sending out these tweets with so many factual inaccuracies and partisans are latching onto them and saying, see, we've got to fight for our rights. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God, there goes that war metaphor again. We mm-hmm. have to fight. for. Why do we have to fight? Yeah. Yeah, really? Why do we? Why can't we be working together on solutions? Yeah. But evidently not. What is it specifically about the cable news coverage of the protests that they're doing wrong? You wrote to me last month about this and kind of comparing the reopen protests that we're seeing in Michigan and elsewhere with firearms and all the rest of it versus the Tea Party uh, protests that occurred in 2009 into 2010. What mistakes are the cable news networks making as far as their coverage of these things? Well, first of all, cable news is attracted to sound and fury like a moth to a flame, Mm -hmm. okay? And God bless the folks on the right. And I'm not saying folks on the left haven't done this. Absolutely they have. But right now, it's coming from the folks on the right, okay? And the folks on the right are quite good at creating outrage. Oh, my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. We must stand against it immediately. And creating events that are for all intents and purposes, AstroTurf, okay? Now, for those that don't know AstroTurf, AstroTurf is fake grassroots. It makes it seem like, oh my God, look at all these citizens rising up. Mm -hmm. But investigative reporting has found with the Tea Party and with the open protests, 
they were organized, funded, and generated by a group of right-wing partisans who have a lot invested in them with the idea of helping the president to get reelected and protesting against Democratic governors. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't a few actual citizens who are actually aggrieved and who actually want things to open. I mean, Bob, I want things to open. I am the advocate for an adult with autism. Mm. He's been in my life for 35 years. Because of the rules about social distancing and because a lot of places are not allowing visitors, I can't see him on his birthday. I'm sorry. I'm not happy about that. Yeah. But I don't see how taking a gun and getting six of my friends and, you know, we're going to protest. I I understand why they're doing it. I'm not happy about it, but I understand. Meanwhile, on the right, you have a number of groups who are organizing these protests, making it seem like, oh, my God, this is just a group of citizens who are upset. Um, I live in Massachusetts. It's a blue state. We have a Republican governor, but he's a moderate. Remember when Republican governors like moderates were a thing? We have one here in Maryland. Larry Hogan is a moderate Republican. Yeah, absolutely. So there is a part of the state that is quite pro-Trump. And I've driven by when they were protesting, and they were wonderful. They were peaceful. They were carrying signs. I mean, I thought the the stuff it said on their signs was outrageous, but they were exercising their First Amendment rights terrific. Now, they were real, honest-to-God protesters. Now, I'm not trying to put protesters to the test here. It's like, well, you have to meet my criteria. But I truly believe, and there is evidence to support it, that the Tea Party movement was not organic. It was funded by Americans for Prosperity and various other groups like that. And this bunch of open protests There has been research showing who funded them, including several groups tied to Betsy DeVos and several groups tied to Second Amendment rights and now also anti-vaccine groups. Don't ask me what that has to do with anything. (laughs) But unfortunately, the confluence of these groups with some money and some talk show hosts and the president's encouragement have led to these protests. And the media see a bunch of people gathering. Oh, my God, they're all upset. They've been told, you know, that that their rights are being taken. And immediately down, out come the cameras and everybody's got to cover it. And if you step back, the protests have not been that big. They've certainly been noisy, but they haven't been that big. And when you talk to some of the people in them, you sit there and you ask yourself, what is it? they are asking for and how do these tactics work and yet the media god bless them get fooled every single time into thinking oh my god we've got to cover this see i have a hot theory tell me what you think of this hot theory okay let's hear it okay um eric alterman wrote a book called what liberal media oh it's a great book i've read it great book yep and it's still valid even today Mm -hmm. and in it he posits that Republicans, particularly over the past five decades, have become masterful at 
working the refs, like complaining that they're constantly being mistreated, claiming that they're constantly aggrieved and that their their needs are not being met and that the Democrats are doing X, Y and Z and that the media are liberal. Now, the media are not liberal. Mm -mm. The media are corporate. Okay, anything that will make a buck fine with them. I promise you there are people at Fox News that are embarrassed by some of the stuff their commentators say, but they won't speak out because it's making them a ton of money. That's right. So for years, actually for about the past five decades, the right has had a very successful organized conspiracy to claim that the media are liberal and to push against the mainstream coverage of anything and everything and accuse it of being biased. Now, I don't know too many working journalists who want to be accused of being biased. So what do they do? They overcompensate. Mm. So they try even harder to prove that they're not biased by covering stuff that maybe they wouldn't normally cover or being kinder and more fair to certain sources who really don't deserve the attention that they're getting. Now, I'm not saying don't cover Republicans. I absolutely am not saying that. And I'm not saying don't cover protests. I'm not saying that either. I am saying, however, that a lot of the stuff that is being covered is made for television moments And it is intended to put forth a vision where the media are liberal and they must cover this. And not wanting to appear liberal, the media do cover it. And that's a mistake they made with Hillary Clinton's emails. And that's a mistake they're about to make with, oh, my God, the um, Homeland Security Committee in the Senate. Uh, They just took bold action to subpoena documents related to Hunter Biden, because what says security better than subpoenaing (laughs) documents about Hunter? What? (laughs) Yeah, I feel so much safer now. So as as agencies of government are now being put to work in service of the president, I would hope the media can see this for what it is and not follow the latest shiny object Mm -hmm. okay so we're gonna get back to our conversation with donna halper here in just one second but first you know we're all going to these zoom meetings we're all using facetime but is that teeny tiny little camera lens on the back of your phone is it really doing you justice now it actually picks up all of the things you'd rather people not see the under eye bags deep wrinkles fine lines those cameras catch everything even though they're teeny tiny Now imagine all that crap is gone. And I'm not talking about risky, expensive surgery, just gone in a matter of minutes. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags, all in the comfort of your own home. Plexiderm is the solution for your Zoom meeting eyes. And you know, I took the test and I was blown away by the results. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear and lasts for hours. So nobody's going to know that you're using it unless you leave your camera phone on and they can see you doing it. Go to triplexiderm.com today. Use my code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. That's half off. 
plus an extra $10 off. Or just call 1-800-685-1292 and mention the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com and use the code VOICES. That's code VOICES at triplexiderm.com. Well, Literati, the number one subscription book club for kids, now in quarantine, more important than ever. Stella tweeted, Steph, you have the best sponsors. I just ordered Literati for Jack, who's my surrogate grandson. I lost my sister last year to cancer. My best friend, my North Star, her one request as she was dying was to take care of Jack and her kids as if they were my own. I do. Um, You sent it to your nephews. I sent it to my ex, Lisa, and her newborn and everybody's raving about them. Oh my God, he was so excited. He like went and got his books and showed them to us on FaceTime. It was amazing. I got uh, the pictures of them. Uh, You've got to get Literati. Libraries, schools, bookstores are closed. Literati has you covered with something truly unique. Every Literati box contains five books based on a theme with exclusive original art and a personalized note just to your child. Do it now for a limited time. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie for 25% off your first two subscriptions. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie. 25% off your first two subscriptions. Literati.com slash Stephanie. Terms and conditions apply. The Bob Seska Show. It seems to me as if, Donna, that cable news doesn't necessarily have a liberal bias, and at least in the context we're talking about CNN and MSNBC, I think the bias is for drama across all the cable news networks. Oh, absolutely. To create drama and outrage, and that becomes the commodity. Drama, outrage, and politics is something that these networks are selling to people almost as if they're dramatic television shows, serialized television shows. In fact, Brian Cranston was on a a special about daytime dramas, about uh, soap operas that was on ABC last night. And Brian Cranston was talking about how the way a lot of these political shows on cable news have designed the drama is kind of based on the serialized drama that we saw on soap operas all of these decades since they well, first I'll started. I'll take it back even further than yeah. that. I'll compare it to professional wrestling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. You have a good guy who is the baby face you have a bad guy who's the heel and the heel and the baby face are going at it except the heel cheats all the time (laughs) and the public is outraged because the heel is cheating and and our hero isn't gonna win and yeah it's very much like that Mm -hmm. you know and and so like yeah serial soap opera call it what you will the problem and do you know what bothers me more than anything right now the delegitimization of reputable sources see as long as the president can dismiss anything he disagrees with as fake news as long as he can just insist that he should not be fact-checked i mean who are you going to believe me or your lion eyes you know If whatever he says is considered the standard for truth, and surveys show that today's Republicans, because the ones from yesterday are busy spinning in their graves, but today's Republicans, it seems like the president is their standard of truth. If he says X, they just believe it. That is terrible for democracy. Oh, yeah. Okay? I mean, I liked... Barack Obama. Okay. I didn't always agree with him. There was stuff he did that I categorically, sometime we could do a show on stuff I didn't agree with, (laughs) with pick a president. Okay. Okay, But, but the fact is, I think anyone with any intelligence, if they're thinking for themselves Mm -hmm. is going to look at 
every politician and subject what he or she says to what they actually do. Mm -hmm. Because politicians, God bless them, they say one thing for the camera, and then that may not be how they vote. So you got to be skeptical. I understand that. But as long as we are living in a world where so many of today's Republicans feel that whatever the president says must be defended, you never subject it to fact-checking, you don't even think about whether it could be inaccurate, and anybody who dares to say it's inaccurate, well, they're just part of the liberal media, and they should be discarded immediately. Mm -hmm. That is so dangerous for democracy. We need the media fact-checking, and we need the public to be skeptical. You can like someone. Like I said, I liked Barack Obama. But just because he said X, I still wanted to find out what the context of it was and, you know, how was he going to implement this and was he going to be able to implement it? This lack of skepticism and this willingness to believe really worries me, particularly when it is combined with attacking all objective sources of fact-checking. Yeah, it's an amazing thing to observe. And in fact, I wanted to ask you about this, Donna, too, is that um, Rachel Maddow has a policy on her show where she focuses on uh, what Trump is doing versus what Trump is saying. Is it important for the press to cover what he says, too, though? I I feel as if they're both equally uh, worthy of of coverage. It's just uh, my opinion. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Well, here's here's the problem. And again, back to being involved with political communication. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure you've had other guests on your show that come from that background as well. As a former broadcaster, I'm very well aware of the power of speech, the power of the human voice, the power of a leader saying X, okay? So the media walk a very fine line here. So the president says something that is demonstrably false and potentially dangerous, like everyone should take hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. No, everyone shouldn't. And this is not a partisan issue. I took it for a week, long before I ever knew anything about anything. I have a whole bunch of autoimmune diseases. And about a year ago, the doctor that I go to, who is wonderful, by the way, um, he knows I don't do narcotics. And so he said, well, you know, there are people that are getting some good results with hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for arthritis. And I, that's one of the things I have. So I said, okay. Um, he said, there may be side effects. And if you have them, stop taking it immediately. Yeah. I took it for a week. I had to stop. I had such side effects that I just said, you know what? I'd rather have the arthritis. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I understand that for some people, particularly people with lupus, It can be very helpful under controlled situations. But to just say that, oh, ask your doctor for X. um, No, you don't want to ask your doctor for X. You want to be very – internet medicine is notoriously unreliable. It's like, oh, I just Googled this, and now I'm (laughs) going to go into my doctor and ask for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Please don't. And this is where I wish that the media – 
would not follow this like a shiny object. Yeah. Okay. So the president said he's taking it, and now we've had three days worth of news cycle about whether he should or whether he shouldn't. Meanwhile, 90,000 plus people have died of coronavirus. There are still people that can't get PPE. There are still people that can't get masks. There are stories about how the bailout that the government gave, the CARES Act, um, quite a few of those loans went to allies of the president, Mm -hmm. a private jet company. You know, like, hey, nothing says I'm desperate and I'm a small business like a private jet company allied with the president. So these are the things that are not getting covered. Okay. There are so many stories of government waste, fraud and abuse and corruption that are not getting covered. And instead, we're spending three days talking about should the president take this drug or should he not? Um, I'll be I'll shorten it for everyone. No, he shouldn't. Right. Okay. Um, Unless he has lupus or unless he has arthritis. Other than that, there is not an ounce of credible evidence that this helps with coronavirus. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It's magical thinking. End of story. But the media are just like, oh, wow, let's talk about this. And that's what bothers me. Remember Hillary's emails? Of course you do, because everyone talked about it for six months. Benghazi, six months. So I'm not saying that these stories are not important. I am saying that the media obsess over them and folks on the right are really, really good at driving that conversation and keeping it in the public eye. Yeah. And I wish that some of the other stories are are kids still in cages? I think they are. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Hello? Yeah. When's the last time you saw anybody checking out how things are at the border? And by the way, why is it that certain governors in certain red states are now refusing to allow information on how many people in meatpacking plants have coronavirus? Mm-hmm. Uh, we could be we could be covering that. Yeah. But instead, fact- let's have another three days. This yeah. is becoming butter emails. Oh, God, yeah. And in fact, you know what, Donna? I think the president has exploited a major flaw in... In the press in general, I mean, whether it's cable news, whether it's the print press, whether it's online, he's exposed this huge flaw. And even with the 24 hour news cycle, the flaw is the press is more or less. And obviously there are lots of exceptions. But what we see, let's say, just in cable news is an inability to cover Um, a flooding of the zone with all varieties of political news hammering the news cycle 24-7. And the problem is... that's what Steve Bannon recommended. Exactly. You know that as well as I do. Steve Bannon said, flood the zone with mm, crap. Um, And if you keep flooding the zone with lots of crap, the media won't know what to do. And so they'll just like pick one. And it's kind of like picking winners and losers. Meanwhile, there are some wonderful print reporters like David Farenthold of the Washington Post. There are some wonderful fact checkers like Daniel Dale of the Toronto Star and CNN. They're out there doing God's work, Mm -hmm. but they're not getting the follow up that they would have gotten. And it's a shame because there is so much BS being thrown out there that a whole bunch of other really important stories aren't getting the attention they deserve. Exactly. 
I kind of let off my latest Salon article with the assumption that most people have generally forgotten the fact that Donald Trump was impeached and not not impeached years ago, impeached months ago. And the reason why this is important to continue to talk about is because he's doing the exact same thing now. He has coerced Mitch McConnell into investigating Hunter Biden as a proxy now because he couldn't get Zelensky to do it in Ukraine. So now he's got Mitch McConnell to do it in the United States Senate. So and now we're seeing these deceptively edited tapes yeah. that are coming out. And, you know, of course, Rudy Giuliani and Ted Cruz and various other folks are sending this all around the conservative universe. Like this proves the Joe Biden uh, yeah, yeah. prove a thing. It proves that you, too, can edit deceptively. Right, okay. Right. Now, I hope that the media don't fall for it, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid they will. Yeah. And again, this is not a defense of Biden. This is not a defense of Hunter. I don't know either one of them. God bless them both. But I am saying when I hear a tape, the first thing I want to know is who put this out. I mean, rule number one of media literacy Who put this message out? Who has an agenda? Mm -hmm. And what is that agenda? In some cases, the agenda is just plain old publicity, and it's like, oh, yeah, I just got this press release about such and such. But in other cases, it's more malevolent. It's like we're going to take these deceptively edited tapes and try to prove that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, nah, they couldn't prove it before. They can't prove it now. It's a nothing burger, but it's a great distraction. And I worry that it's going to bubble up into the mainstream out of fear of, oh, my God, if we don't cover this, then they'll accuse us of being partisans. Cover what? (laughs) You know, Obamagate, that's what. (laughs) Well, well, what is it? I mean, when, when Phil Rucker of The Washington Post said to the president, well, what crime are you accusing him of? It's like, well, you know, but your newspaper won't print it. It's like, oh, if God, I if I yeah. told you I'd have to kill you? I mm. mean, it's like, what? And yet all around the conservative media, you see this thing about, oh, this like this terrible conspiracy. What terrible conspiracy? Well, unmasking. All unmasking means, and you know this as well as I do, Mm -hmm. is you had a source that was mentioned like individual one. And somebody wanted to know who was individual one. So they fill out a form and they're able to find out who it is. It's got a really scary sounding name. Someone needs to explain better that it happens in government all the time. As people do their paperwork and they're reading stuff and they're like, well, I can't move on this without further information and I need to know who they were talking about. That's called unmasking. And it is not sinister. It's not dangerous. It's been done by both parties for decades. And yet it's being presented as proof of something And I'm sitting there going, oh, here we go again. (laughs) And in fact, you know what? This week, Donna, uh, Bill Barr announced that neither Obama nor Joe Biden will face criminal investigations under this uh, John Durham probe, this U.S. attorney probe. Obviously, because no crimes were committed, as you said. But uh, Trump doesn't need actual crimes to accuse whoever of breaking the law, does he? 
Right. And also, he said it in a very, how shall we say, weaselly sort of way. It's mm-hmm. like, well, whatever they may have done, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to – what do you mean, whatever they may have done? They mm-hmm. did nothing. Hello? <laughs> you can disagree with their policies, but that doesn't mean they're criminals. I mean, right. what? Lock them up? Lock, what are we, a banana republic? Yeah. So here we have, well, whatever they may have done, I'm not going to prosecute. Well, good on you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so glad that you're not going to prosecute them for something that never happened. That's right. Ah. Mm-hmm. It's the old principle, and this is the, one of the principles that they've managed to weaponize. I'm speaking of Trump and people like Steve Bannon, quite honestly, who's, uh, I think, the catalyst for a lot of this. Oh, is absolutely, the fact... and for nationalism all over the world. Oh, yeah. Well, Populism the I... and nationalism, yeah. The communication strategy, other than flood the zone with crapola, as you were saying, the other strategy that works hand-in-hand with that is a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on. But with the internet now... It travels at hyperspeed around the world several times before the truth can get its pants on. So it seems like that has been entirely weaponized, too, where Donald Trump could say, yeah, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, they all broke the law. And here's X and Y. This is kind of the area. We're not going to say what it is. But then everyone starts talking about how Hunter Biden and Joe Biden broke the law. And here's me even saying it in the context of this example. And yet by the time the people, the fact checkers and debunkers get around to it, It's already too late, isn't it? Well, that's the other problem as well, because right now we're living in a very polarized media universe. Now, as a media historian, I have to point out, we've been in polarized universes before. Oh, God, Can you say Civil War? (laughs) Can you say Vietnam era? So all the people huffing and puffing and saying, this has never happened before. Look at some some political cartoons from the 1860s, and you'll know what we're talking about. It absolutely has happened before. Mm -hmm. But what's different is what you just talked about. Mm. See, like years ago, If I stood on my lawn and said, all of you kids, get off of my grass, Uh, the only people that heard me say that were all of the kids that were on my grass. Mm. But today, I can upload a YouTube video of myself ranting at whoever I want to rant at, and within minutes, thousands of like-minded partisans can read it and go, aha, you know, or watch it and go, see that? And it doesn't mean any of it is true, but... For those who like this sort of thing, this is the sort of thing they like. We are living in a world of confirmation bias. We are living in a world where, by and large, most people, particularly with respect to politics, surround themselves with folks who only agree with them. They read stuff that reinforces what they already believe. And so as a result, when you have people saying Obamagate or whatever other gate or, you know, some other made up scandal and they hear it on right wing news, news in air quotes, and they hear it uh, on right wing talk radio and they read it in right wing publications and it becomes a feedback loop. This what the other thing that really worries me, Bob, and I'm glad we're talking about this. This is the first time that I've ever known mm. where we have a president who is governing by Fox News. Yeah, it's like whatever Fox News commentators say, he picks it up. Yep. Okay, and unfortunately, expertise has been either eliminated or demonized, 
And what Fox News commentators say has become the new standard. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm supporting the free speech rights of Fox News commentators. But I don't support their right to tell the government what to do, which is exactly what's happening. Or, or to defraud their own viewers, which is kind of oh what they're God. doing, too. Yeah, I exactly. just wanted to add that but in. But I never elected Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, <laughs> Sean Hannity. I didn't elect these people. Yeah. And as a result, I don't think they have degrees in the subjects that they're holding forth on. I don't think they have a lot of expertise that is objective. Their role is to encourage and promote whatever the president seems to believe or to push him in a direction so that he will believe it. But here's the problem. What's good for talk show ratings isn't necessarily good for the United States. It may be wonderful for Fox News commentators to have the president at their beck and call, but it's terrible for our democracy, and it's an awful way to make policy. I would much rather – and even previous – I mean I'm old enough to remember when previous Republican administrations would actually call in the experts during a crisis. (laughs) This current administration – is mainly made up of people who their big qualification is loyalty to the president. Yeah. That makes me really nervous. Okay. I mean, I'm loyal to lots of folks, but I still want to fact check. I still want to think for myself. I mean, there's a line on a Rush song, his mind is not for rent to Mm. any God or government. Yeah. I mean, I don't rent out my mind Mm -hmm. just because I'm a Democrat. I haven't always been a Democrat. There were times I was an independent because I didn't like who the Democrats were running. I've actually voted for moderate Republicans in my life. But these days, there's no Republican moderates left. No. Not in Congress. Not in Congress. And the policies they're putting forward seem to be whatever will make the president happy. That's a terrible way to govern. Oh, oh, Mr. President, I'm so glad about your wonderful leadership. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my God. God, what have we turned into? Mm-hmm. I, I cannot imagine Barack Obama or, for that matter, George W. Bush or Reagan or Clinton having people go around the room during their cabinet meeting praising them for their wonderful leadership. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, 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 it, yeah. yeah. So, so here we are at a time when we have government by talk show. And sad to say – There is a universe of people who never hear any other opinions. And for those folks, yeah, Obama's a criminal and he should be arrested. And he will be any day now because I heard a commentator say that. Yeah. This reminds me of sports talk. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of how, you know, you hear all of these people who are basically guys in a diner. I mean, they've never coached. They've never managed. They've never played. And yet they're calling up like, oh, yeah, the manager should have done such and such. And boy, you know what the coach did yesterday? That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) And I'm sitting there thinking like, and your expertise in these matters is. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 wait, you don't have any. Okay. So this is where we are. We have a bunch of guys in a diner telling us what we ought to be doing with our lives. It makes me really, really frustrated. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons why I'm delighted 
to have the opportunity to talk to you. And I'm sure there are some people that are going to listen and they're going to be really angry with me because they know me as like, well, I like your like your your uh, radio work and the fact that you discovered Rush. Mm -hmm. I actually had somebody say to me, you should shut up about politics. And I'm like, you uh, yeah, I always love it when a guy tells me that I should shut up. I, I just, I'm so <laughs> fond of that. Right. I mean, I see, I see the president doing that at press conferences, like only the female reporters. Well, that's a nasty question. You should shut up. You should talk more nicely. Um, I'm fundamentally a nice person. Yeah. If you got to know me, you might like me, Right. but you might always, you know, you might always find that, wow, she has opinions. And I, Fail to see how having opinions is a bad thing. If our democracy is going to survive, however, we need more than just opinions. We need expertise. We need people that know what they're doing. We need people to sit back and think about solutions instead of encouraging us to hate and demonize each other. Yeah, and I think too, Donna, and this is one of your areas of expertise in particular, is the notion of media ethics, where I feel as if in this age of the internet and social media, there are no media ethics anymore, certainly with some of the pundit shows on cable news. There's no method to weeding out false information. There's no ethical standards for the information that in fact gets presented if there is any information most of its opinion so the problem becomes without those ethical standards anything goes and that's the kind of the pollution of the discourse with absolute gibberish and falsifications and lies just outward lies certainly and, and myths that yeah. make people feel better yeah okay exactly and like here's the magic answer you know it's obviously the fault of this person or this group or, you know, let's all blame pick a country or let's all blame immigrants or left-handed Lithuanians or (laughs) whoever, you know? Um, It's very sad that we are in a place right now where that is being encouraged. I hesitate to say there's no ethics in media because there is a big difference between commentary shows and the hardworking journalists that are out there every day trying to tell the truth and in many cases getting ignored. There are some wonderful journalists and there's some wonderful journalism going on. And I really invite your listeners and your viewers when you have them to go to their favorite news website and support it mm-hmm. because we're living in times where advertising's down and an awful lot of really, really good newspapers and magazines that are out there telling the truth every day and they're struggling. Yeah. And we need to support them and we need to help them so that their work will continue. The commentators, like I said, years ago, it was just like, oh, a bunch of guys in a diner. Today, they're influencing policy. I think that's terrifying, Mm -hmm. but I also think it's even more important for us to have fact-checking. It's all the more important for us to support fact-checking websites and also for us ourselves to do fact-checking. Before we go spouting off on the Internet about some meme that we've gotten, find out if the person actually said it, okay? Before we pass along the latest conspiracy theory, 
Find out if there's even an ounce of accuracy to it. Mm-hmm. Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. That's right. So I really see that on the commentary shows, yeah, ethics is just gone. Yeah. Not with all commentators, okay? There are some responsible commentators. Like, right. uh, let me let me throw a name out there. Charlie Sykes, okay? Now, I don't agree with Charlie on a lot of issues, but he is a right-wing commentator who gets on a number of the talk shows, and I find him fair, accurate. I just don't always agree with his perspectives. Right. But we need more thoughtful commentary from both sides. And I really do believe that if Republicans want this republic to survive, they got to stop empowering the crazies mm-hmm. because that's what's happening right now. We've got people with no expertise who are spouting off and saying stuff that's dangerous. And folks are like, yay, keep saying No, please don't. Please <laughs> stop. Okay? Yeah. Talking noise pollution here. I mean, there's an old saying, you may have the right to do it, but is it right to do it? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, you may have a right to carry that gun, but is it right to carry it to the legislature to terrorize the legislators? You may have the right to get on television and spout off on some conspiracy theory, but is it right to mislead, misinform, and terrify people just to boost your ratings? Yeah. That's kind of shameful, and yet that's what's going on. That's one of the main problems with having a president who has no restraint at all, is someone who can walk into the White House and reject all of those unwritten rules of being the president because they are unwritten rules. They're not actual hardcore pieces of legislation or strictures on the office. They're just traditions. And Donald Trump well, doesn't, he doesn't have any respect I, I, for it. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, and I, sure. it's a horrible habit, and I apologize. <laughs> but, okay. um, but this is something that I blogged about a couple of days ago. Yeah. We used to have... And here again, I hate to do both sides, but this is both sides from a media history perspective. Mm -hmm. We used to have presidents that in a time of crisis rose to the occasion. I was no fan of President Bush, okay? Mm -hmm. I was no fan of the Iraq War. But when 9-11 happened, the speeches he made, the effort to comfort people, the way he reached out – that's exactly how a president should act. Oh, yeah. Now, agreed, what he did later, we can all debate about it. But I'm saying when the occasion called for it, he was there. He did the right thing. Obama, when the occasion called for it, he went to a black church. He spoke out. He comforted people after those you know, folks were shot dead by that white supremacist, Dylan Roof. Um He did the right thing. He brought the nation together. Now, again, you can like him, you can hate him. But when it came time to be presidential, most presidents answered the call. This one is constantly campaigning. He's constantly in a mode where let's pit one side against the other. I hear very little about all the Americans that have been dying during this virus, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, his administration severely mishandled. But what I hear is political campaign. 
No, sir, this isn't the time for a political campaign. This is the time for you to mourn those who have lost, been lost. This is the time for you to stand up, be magnanimous, stop calling people names, and just bring the country together. Yeah. But he can't do it no, because can't. he sincerely hates the other side because they represent them. And my supporters, they represent us. That just once oh. he would act magnanimous, just once he would be presidential. Sadly, no, they didn't build that year's model with that feature. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a shame because he's encouraging more division, more hatred, more negativity at a time when so many people are feeling traumatized and they need comfort. Yeah. And he can't do it. He has no view of what's going to happen tomorrow. He sees tomorrow everything or, in how it will affect him. Yeah, it's always immediate. It's always transactional. Yeah, it's yeah, what's happening, yeah. what he needs to say in the moment to wiggle out of that moment. He doesn't care whether it has ramifications for the future. Yeah. Doesn't care about what's happened before him. Doesn't care. Certainly, doesn't care what previous presidents have done during these kinds of situations. And then he wonders. Why doesn't anyone like me? Why doesn't anyone support me the way they supported George W. Bush after 9-11? Because it's impossible to do that. You can't support someone who is merely trying to weasel out of uh, one screw-up after another. And that's exactly how Well, at first, people, his supporters liked that. Yeah. They were like, boy, he's sticking it to those elites. He's yeah. sticking it. You know, I always get amused when people say that someone is sticking it to the elites and they're a multimillionaire and they live in a mansion and they have servants, mm-hmm. many of whom are undocumented. Right. But boy, howdy, <laughs> he's sticking it to the elites. <laughs> That's no, he right. isn't. No, he isn't. He's fooling you. So the truth is he ain't no man of the people. Mm -hmm. And what he's trying to do is reinforce his own power. Now, agreed, he's got every right to do that. But in a time of crisis, I don't think it's appropriate. I think there's a period of time where you should set it aside and just comfort people. Mm. But... Unfortunately, this is not the time we're living in. So we have to be the comforters. We have to be the ones that reach out. I'm constantly reaching out to people on both sides of the equation and saying, hey, look, maybe we don't agree on politics. But if you're going through something and you need to talk, I'm here. Okay, I really am. And I'm really willing to do it. There are times for partisanship and there are times when partisanship isn't what we're looking for Mm -hmm. but it's what he's looking for 24 7 and i think that's so disappointing let me ask you this donna does the political discourse recover from all of this or is it permanently damaged depends on who the leader is yeah see whether you like joe biden or not okay and there are many of us that he wasn't their first choice right but joe biden is basically a decent guy and joe biden has one thing about him that i've always liked He surrounds himself with experts. Mm -hmm. He surrounds himself with good people. And the sense that I get is that if we have leaders who are fundamentally good people and who are interested in the nation as opposed to their own short-term political interests, if we have leaders who can bring out the best in us, who can appeal to what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature, then yeah. There will still be partisans that are, you know, I hate you because you live in a blue state. 
but those folks won't be empowered the way they are now. They won't be elevated the way they are now. If we can have leadership that brings out the best in us and marginalizes the worst in us, Mm -hmm. then yes, I think we can recover. I think it'll take some time because there's been a lot of wounds that were opened and left open because it benefited the Trump administration. Now, I am not saying that every supporter of Donald Trump is like that. I have friends that are supporters of Donald Trump. We don't agree on politics, but they're nice people. But even they have said to me, God, I wish he wouldn't talk that way. (laughs) And if we can get leadership from people that actually talk like human beings again and that help us rejoin the world community and that don't pick battles with the World Health Organization. I'm sorry, they're stopping people from getting polio vaccines all over the world. This is not the fight we want to have. We want to have a fight against prejudice, against ignorance, against stupidity, against poverty. Mm -hmm. There are so many fights we could have that could actually have a positive result But we're not having those fights. We're busy doing red state versus blue state pro wrestling. So, yes, we can recover, but we've got to be committed to being part of the solution. And if we have good leadership, that will encourage that behavior. Absolutely. Uh, One last question for you, Donna. This year marks the 100th anniversary of radio, right? Is it this year that we're celebrating that? It is this year, but let us make sure that we do not celebrate a myth, because you know how I hate myths. I know, yeah. Okay, so no to all my friends in Pittsburgh, KDKA was not, not, N-O-T, not the first radio station in the world, in the universe, in the history of humanity. Yes, KDKA was a great radio station. It's still on the air. Long may it run. But it was one of, not the. There is really good evidence that a radio station in Detroit, WWJ, which went on the air as 8MK in August of 1920, was on the air before KDKA. There you go. There is evidence that little 1XE, later WGI, on Medford Hillside in Massachusetts was on the air in March, long before KDKA. So, yes, this actually is the 100th anniversary of commercial radio in the United States. Meanwhile, in Canada, it was last year, There was one in Argentina in 1918, but sadly, because of the state of research in those days, one hand literally didn't know what the other hand was doing. (laughs) So there was very little chance if you were sitting in, let's say, Baltimore, Maryland, that you had any idea that Marconi had just put on a radio station in 1919. You're like, huh, who's Marconi? (laughs) You know? So... I think we're going to see a lot of revisionist history this year. But yes, the fact still remains. For a hundred years, radio has been around. Radio has been a factor. I love radio. Me too. It has been my life since I was a kid. I would hate to think of my life without radio. I'm grateful to be on the radio. I wish I were on the radio full time. I miss being on the radio. Mm -hmm. There's currently no radio jobs. So I had to reinvent myself. It was the anniversary last week of uh, nine years ago. I got my Ph.D. 
at age 64, wow. but still young and cute. You know, <laughs> you got to keep reinventing yourself. That's so, right. yeah, it's it's the anniversary of radio. Mm-hmm. It's the anniversary of all kinds of stuff that has happened. If, you know, a couple last week was sadly the anniversary of Ohio, Kent oh, yeah. State. Kent State, right. Yeah. Well, so commemorate the anniversaries, but make sure that – the history is maintained and make sure that they're put in context because sadly there is a a tendency on the internet to just pull out some fact and make it mean what you want it to mean rather than looking at what did it actually mean in the greater scope of history? Yeah. See also previous remarks about confirmation bias, but you know what I want to do? I want to do, this is something I'm I'm working on. I'm thinking about it. I want to put it together. I want to do a podcast with you, my friend, Buzz Burbank and Rocky Mountain Mike from the Stephanie Miller show Four four broadcasters talking about radio, the history of radio, the future of radio, the status of radio now. Um, what killed radio? Uh, are you in? Are you on board for that uh, roundtable if we put that are together? Are you kidding me? If we didn't have social distancing, I'd be hugging you right now. I really would. All right. Oh, my God. Donna, you are magical and wonderful, and I so appreciate uh, everything you do, and I'm so glad to have you on the show here again. I, I'm really grateful for that, so thank well, you for coming thank on. thank you so much. I hope I made some sense. Of and, course you uh, always, always do. It is a privilege to be on your show, and I'm eternally grateful for the opportunity. Stay healthy. In times like these, it's friendship and the love and compassion of others that keep us going. And knowing that you're out there really makes a difference. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, sunshine. Bye-bye. Now more than ever, we're all thinking about our hygiene. We're washing our hands. We're sneezing into our arms. We're wearing our masks. But what about your cell phone? It's a gigantic carrier of germs. I mean, not the phone itself, but there's lots of germs there. Phones are a vector for disease, and we rarely ever clean them. I know I haven't cleaned my phone in forever. We're constantly touching our phones with our hands and even pressing them up against our faces. It's time to take cleaning your phone seriously, though. The Clean Phone Pro Sanitizer uses medically proven UV light technology to kill 99.99% of all bacteria that comes in contact with your phone. Better than wipes and safe for your device, the Clean Phone Pro gets every inch of your phone clean with nine high-power UVC lights. There's a dedicated wireless charging pad on top of the chamber. You can be sanitizing your other items while wirelessly charging your phone or just use the Clean Phone Pro as your go-to charging station any damn time. A fully removable top means easier fit for more items and larger items. Go to thecleanphone.com today and get one for just $89 and free shipping when you use the code SEXYLIBERAL. If you're serious about hygiene, it's time to get serious about cleaning your phone. Go to thecleanphone.com and keep your phone truly clean. Remember to use the code SEXYLIBERAL, all one word, for two-day free shipping and it's going to ship immediately. That's the clean cleanphone.com thecleanphone.com one two three four those are numbers but you already knew that if you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car use kelly blue book my wallet on auto trader they're really good at numbers auto trader